You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, it's all about our brother by night. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin, and say hello to your mother for me. I am Adam Thomas. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm going to tell you all of my life story in this awkwardly inserted narration that will interrupt the flow of our story. Several, several times. Several times, yes. Because mm-hmm. that's how yep. you depict a rise to power is through consistent, awkward narration. Yes. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And speaking of that, yep. welcome to our show, Double Edge <laughs> Double Bill, uh, where every week we discuss a double feature that was picked at the end of our previous episode. So we'll be doing that picking for next week's episode at the end of this one. And uh, so at the end of our last episode, we randomly picked a good and a bad feature for our topic for the evening, which is gangster films. Yep. The movie's about not just Italian mobsters, but, you know, we uh, opened it up to various different types because you got your Yakuza pictures, you got Mm -hmm. your... uh, Russian gangster movies, uh, your the Irish mafia, Irish mafia, British mafia, also known as yeah. Guy Ritchie cinema, um, right? Pretty yes, much, exactly. yes, exclusively. I think at this point, because <laughs> this is a topic you definitely wanted to do, Adam, um, and obviously yeah. I'm also a fan. Um, uh, where did that sort of love for the gangster picture come for you? Man, when I was probably just a little little fella, like I saw Goodfellas way too young, and I instantly was like really on board with Ray Liotta because I'm like, Ray Liotta's terrifying. But I also didn't understand like character nuance back then. That's right. Because, you know, as you get older watch, you're like, oh no, everybody's terrifying in this movie in a way. <laughs> but especially like Joe Pesci. Yeah, well, given, as we've joked about many times on previous episodes of the show, uh, my Italian lineage. Um, hey! Hey! Shut up, uh, I was exposed to a lot of these gangster movies, also at probably too young an age. I remember watching the Godfather movies and Goodfellas with my father at far too young an age. And I think what's so interesting about those movies especially is um, that sense of family they kind of create in sort of the found family thing um, that makes you like really side with them initially and then makes the fall that eventually honestly has to happen all the more sort of heartbreaking and sad and even more betrayed Sometimes. I mean, sometimes, that's true. In the, yeah, in the yeah. more morally responsible movies that happens. Yeah. Right, right. I'd argue there's, uh, yeah, well, we'll wait till we get to it. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into uh, our two features here, which uh, we chose two interesting features to kind of run the gamut, as it were, because uh, your good pick was Brother um, from Takashi Kitano, which is more of a Yakuza-inspired movie, though it dabbles in some of the other various... Uh, gangsters as it were yeah um and then our bad feature is live by night which is supposed to be 
a very traditional sort of mobster movie. Uh, that's what it's aiming for. Not arguably. Uh, so why don't we go first into your good feature of Brother. Don't you think it's time for your brother to move? He likes it here. You won't expand, you need me. I'm the man. They want 50%. He's way too dangerous. Yeah, we'll all die. If I have to die, so be it. <laughs> don't have to do this you know <laughs> so uh brother came out uh, april 6 2001 it uh is directed written by and stars takeshi katano um it is his first as of yet only feature that was sort of an american co-production because he's a japanese filmmaker most people might know him as the villain from battle royale yeah i'd say that's probably what most people know him from yeah, that's mainly what I knew him from, honestly. It was like appearing in this and a couple other American productions as an actor. But I'm guessing you're more familiar with him, especially for his directorial work as well. Yeah, in a way. Like, I haven't seen a ton of his stuff. I, I actually did come into him knowing him as an actor first. And I want to say it was like Johnny Mnemonic, I think, right. was the first thing I remember seeing him in. Yeah. And then obviously Battle Royale and stuff. And then I saw, you know, quite a few of his movies. We had this conversation off show and i wasn't a hundred percent where i first saw his first movie or which one it was um i do th- think it was fireworks i've also seen like you know the blind swordsman zatochi and all those ones as well but yeah i'm just a fan of him. he's like japan's charles bronson steve mcqueen type actor where he's just this little unassuming kind of looking dude but he's just a badass I got a lot of uh, Charles Bronson vibes, especially from this. I also watched Fireworks uh, right before I saw it. But um, Brother is a very unique choice, Adam. It's a very much a rebellious, different choice. And you said you hadn't seen it in a while. So uh, do you still like the movie? I like it for the reasons I liked it when I first saw it. Let's put it that way. I think he's really kick-ass in it. Uh, I think there is some cool dynamics between him and like his brother and stuff. Omar Epps is fucking terrible in it. But whatever. At least there's they have, there's some kind of good relation there a little bit. I really like the uh, his like right hand man who is with him, the little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like him a lot. I do like a lot of the stuff in the movie still. Yeah, do I like it as much? I don't know. Maybe explain a bit. Give people maybe a bit of a plot synopsis. This is kind of an obscure pick. Sure. Uh, Takeshi Kitano plays almost like a disgraced member of the Yakuza who flees Japan and comes to America to find his brother to sort of like maybe hide out and he has like his right hand lieutenant or whatever go with him uh, and he goes to find his brother he finds his brother and he's like basically part of a real st- bunch of street punk gang where they're selling drugs and stuff and you know getting muscled on by the mafia and other things and he comes in and sort of uh basically introduces a version of the yakuza to american gang culture and uh has to basically contend with the mafia the irish gangs uh all the other type of criminal element. And uh, it's basically them forming a bond and brotherhood, all of them together and, and also becoming a huge criminal syndicate. Now for me, I hadn't seen this before. Um, and I was curious since it was such an interesting pick and given the weirdness of this production where um, it was partially financed by American money as well as uh, Japanese money. And based on especially seeing Firework, uh, Takeshi Kitano is a very Japanese filmmaker. And you don't really get chances like this where it's like, you get obviously like sort of foreign people coming over and making Hollywood movies. 
But this feels like it has a, a foot in both areas kind of thing. And I do agree that I do like it, but weirdly, I would say my biggest concerns are actually completely flipped from what you said, where I don't really feel the relationship with his brother at all in this movie, but I felt a lot more of it with Omar M. So I actually really liked it in the movie. I really was engaged in their friendship and their growing uh, bond, whereas I think the brother kind of feels like, it, especially he gets like completely lost halfway through the movie, I think. Well, I think that might be kind of the point. Mm -hmm. I think they mean brother as in more of a camaraderie term and more than a familial term. And I think the point is he develops a relationship more with Omar Epps because Omar Epps has some of the same ideals and stuff that he does as compared to his own brother. Right, I, I do agree with that, but even then I think um, the biggest overall problem is just the fact that even with this movie, like I, I really like the, I'd say first half of this movie quite a bit. I was really mm -hmm. into it where you, you sort of see his, uh, Takeshi Kitano's life in the Yakuza and how that ultimately, you know, his hot headedness is what gets him thrown out. He's like being targeted to be murdered. So he moves to LA and how he kind of muscles his way in and destroys the, all the different mafia gangs and ends up becoming like top dog. And like, this is pretty cool. And then I think it's around the moment they introduce the whole Little Tokyo element of the story, where it's like, oh, let's join sides of the Little Tokyo mob, that I begin to really lose interest, because I think the movie becomes much more of a traditional, like, gangster movie in a way that gets really dull, and they kind of lose sight of even Takeshi Kitano, who I get is supposed to be kind of losing interest in his own way, but also I'm kind of mirroring his lack of interest in the movie for, <laughs> I'd say, that second half, largely. I really honestly can't disagree with you, especially upon second and it almost feels like two different movies spliced together mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, I absolutely am glued to Takeshi Kitano anytime he's on screen in this movie. I think he's so just intimidating for just a little old man. <laughs> like, I'm terrified of him. There's definitely, it seems like a lot lost in translation. Yes. Because it's a very oddly sort of paced movie. Even some of the dialogue is weird. When we were off mic, you compared this at one point to a Jarmusch movie. And I think yes. that's that's very accurate in terms of like the, some of the stylistic stuff. But I will also say at the same time, there's a lot of specifically Japanese things that feel very much like I get what Katashi Katana was going for as director, but it doesn't play nearly as well when especially American actors do it. Like the worst scene for Omar Epps, and I think the scene that kind of like shows this loss in translation element is when he discovers his uh, mom has been murdered. And the way that they shoot that with like the little baby doll and the way that yeah. Omar Epps is saying like, oh, no. Oh no! It's like that feels like it would work so much better in Japanese and <laughs> with like Japanese uh, like connotations and stuff, as opposed yeah. to coming out of like an American. It just feels so odd and alien. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I honestly, I think that might be one of the reasons why I remember this movie so much mm -hmm. and why it was sort of endeared to me the first time I saw it. Because I'm watching, I'm like, what is this? Like, this just feels <laughs> weird. This whole movie is just a little weird. There's nothing supernatural, spiritual, anything like that in it. It's just weird. Like I said, even the dialogue all the friends have with each other and, and you know, they're playing basketball. And then the, the birthday scene where Takeshi Kitano sends gifts for the whole family. And the mom is just narrating everything that's being opened in every, in like, in very specific terms. We see, like, her open the entire package in, like, one shot. Like, it doesn't really cut yeah. away at all. She's, like, yeah. awkwardly yeah. opening every she, single corner. Every item. <laughs> and then she gets the sunglasses. Oh, these are sunglasses. These are very nice in this little bag. These can't be for me. Oh, who, oh they're for you, baby. Oh, they look good. And you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. 
There's a lot of that in this movie. Yes. <laughs> so how do you feel about Takeshi Kitano and or Beat Takeshi as he sometimes goes by? Well, Beat Takeshi is more of his, I believe, actor name, right? Versus... I know, which is so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty dope. I'm not the... um, I, I think as a director, I... I... It's very interesting because a big element I did not realize with a lot of these movies is that um, the score is done by Joe Hisashi, who most people would know for doing, like, all the Studio Ghibli movies. Oh, no shit. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Dude, yeah. Like, when I was watching both these movies, I'm just like, why am I watching Yakuza Kills while I'm hearing music that feels like, shouldn't I be watching, like, a little girl on a dragon and be crying? <laughs> it's a majestic <laughs> animation. Right, right. Like, apparently that's all that dude does is either Takashi Kitano movies or Studio Ghibli movies for his scores. It's really weird. Watching both those movies, it does kind of feel like stages his stuff like it's either an anime or a manga. In terms of, like, it's a lot of um, very uh, wide-open shots and sort of, like, a singular subject in the middle of, like, a wide-open space. Just kind of, like, interacting with what's going on. Which I find interesting. Like, even Takeshi Kitano feels like he's a caricature. Of a person. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. he's not quite a person. It's like you mentioned with, like, the Charles Bronson effect of him. Um, and I think that really works in something like a fireworks. And to a certain extent in this movie, I just think there's definitely a lot of points where it feels like he kind of bowed to a bit more pressure of, like, oh, we gotta make this more action-packed. And that's why I think the second half loses me more. Because you get, like, cool character moments where, like, okay. him and Omar Epps are interacting. Like, I love the bit where they go to dinner. And apparently he's yeah. not hungry. So he's just like, here, finish it. Like, okay, shit, I'll do it. No more Epps just eats his food. Like, I love moments like that, but then we have to get like, oh, here's the guys in little uh, Tokyo and how they're taking over this, like, uh, bar or this gambling area or whatever. And I just like, I don't give a shit about any of this. Like, when he sort of gets to do more of his kind of like Jarmushi thing, I think it works yeah. a lot better. And if anything, like, what I like about sort of, we, we've talked about uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai before on the show. What I love about that movie is that it definitely feels like at least um, somebody commenting on an environment they're at least familiar with in terms of, like, um, Jim Jarmusch commenting on, like, an urban environment, um, as opposed to, in this one, clearly uh, it feels like Takeshi Kitano kind of trying to comment on American culture, but from such an outsider perspective that it doesn't quite work. Yeah, feels... no, I think that's absolutely the case. I think yeah. that's 1,000% the case. He He's commenting on American culture he's seen in American films. Right. That's where the disconnect kind of is. And plus, because I'm not fully convinced he's not in the Yakuza anyways. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> he might be. Because how the hell does this guy keep getting his financing and shit and all that? Like, maybe he is. I don't know. He looks like he is. I liked the lead-up to them, like, uniting with the other gang yeah. and taking over and what the sacrifice had to be for it to happen and stuff. Cause there was a little, there was some kind of weight to that happening. Uh, but once the other gang joined, it was like kind of, they kind of did start to steadily decline. Yeah. Cause you get like, even like the, the Kishikatano character is intentionally like losing interest sort of when they like enter into the fray. And mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to focus more on, like, how about all of this, like, it's being taken over by this other gang that they're joined up with, just more from his perspective. Because we still get, like, the, the bits with him or the bits with his girlfriend and, like, mm-hmm. the bits with him and Omar Epps and some of these other things. And even, I, that's why I'm mentioning, like, the whole um, brother element of it, like, how he loses such touch with his half-brother. I don't think it's just Takeshi Kitano. I think it's, like, the whole movie in general loses touch with that character. I, well, dude, I, I'll be 100% honest. When that guy, like, slicked his hair back and shaved, I didn't even recognize it was the same fucking guy when the first time I saw it. 
Because when he first met him, he's got that afro and like a real ratty beard. Yeah. And then when it, once he joins, it shows him he's got his hair slicked back. He's completely clean shaven in a suit. I'm like, who is this handsome motherfucker? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, I am racist. Got it. I couldn't recognize him. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, maybe. No. <laughs> but, no, but I agree with you. There was a lot of little character bits that I really liked. I really liked um, how the one guy uh, had the, like, the sort of the basketball thing with the, with the the little lieutenant guy that was so cool yeah oh yeah though michael jordan no you're more like Shaq. i yeah. love that bit yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's a great bit i love the i love the cup and dice gambling bit yes that's such a good bit too uh i you know there's a lot of good little points like when he makes the one racist guy put all the mahjong pieces in his mouth right and, and then kidney punches him like it's hardcore shit or the one guy who uh gets the two parts of the chopsticks in his nose yeah, that's fucking yeah. And you don't that even see like, anything. It's just a lot with like sound effects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you just hear a crunch basically. But yeah, I, I do think, you know, watching it now with more of a, I don't want to call it refined because that's not true, but a bigger sort of palette of films that I've seen. The core idea is there. Like it's there. You know what he's going for. Yeah. It's not a hard story to follow. The weirdness of it is just in. Like I said, the translation, like it's really fucking bizarre. Some of these scenes, fucking Omar Epps in the car at the end, he's constantly screaming and talking to himself. And you're like, the, the, the fact that it's a tag too, that comes after like the big ending of Takashi Kitano's character. It feels really weird to have it there. It's very strange. There's another movie we're going to talk about that does something similar, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, if you'd asked me probably when I first saw this, I'd be like, dude, it's like, like what? It's got to be like an eight out of ten, like for real. Maybe even a nine. It's so fucking cool. Now I'm like, eh, it's a six, five. It's a five, maybe a six. It's less of necessarily a great, it. right? It's less of like a great movie, more of an interesting curio of a movie. Yeah, I because agree. there's few other movies like it necessarily, and I'd argue maybe none that right. are like this one. Right, and even there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of styles that are sort of bit, uh, maybe he bit or other people. I, I doubt many people watch Brother and bit the style of it, but he did bite a lot of styles and stuff like that. Uh, so there are movies similar as far as some things, but yeah, I, uh, I've never seen anything else like this for sure. Honestly, watching it, it, it kind of made me realize like, so is this what like Japanese people feel when they watch something like Tokyo Drift? Where it's like an American movie set in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, is Probably. this what they feel? <laughs> Probably, or like The Wolverine. Or something like, we don't this yeah but tokyo drift's probably the best this is stupid fucking yeah, white yeah, people we do. don't have bow wow here selling outdated <laughs> technology yeah. hey, we're not fucking drifting up to a club and break dancing into it like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> yeah probably honestly yeah. probably yeah it doesn't mean that Lu- lucas black and sung kang are totally bros not <laughs> not not likely <laughs> right sung kang apparently is like 40 and tokyo drift had sold high school but, um... <laughs> Maybe, but I. That's it. it's also interesting because even Takeshi Kitano said himself he was really disappointed with how this turned out, and he hasn't made a Hollywood movie since. Would you want him to necessarily come back to America and do another movie, or do you feel like this should just sort of stand on its own as a weird experiment? I think a cool thing would be if they did like an anthology movie, 
mm-hmm. with different directors from different continents or even a bunch of directors from Japan or something. And, you know, I could totally see Quentin Tarantino be having a part in that and getting something like that going. I'd like to see like, Takeshi Kitano maybe, maybe try again with like a short form mm-hmm. first to see if maybe he's sort of grasped the American culture a little more. Cause I, that's clearly what's lost in this movie a little bit and, and to go from there and see, but yeah, I mean, dude, cause his, his Japanese films, his native films are fucking pretty badass. Like the blind swordsman Satoshi is pretty badass. And fireworks is a really interesting movie. If you're not aware, it's basically about a man who um, used to be part of the Yakuza and then starts to try and take care of his wife um, after a because she's had uh, cancer and also his uh, daughter had previously died. But it's a very interesting movie that's definitely also feels unique even for a Japanese movie. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. What about um, you? Do you, do you like to see him take another crack at it? I definitely like the idea of him collaborating with maybe an American filmmaker who can kind of share his sensibilities like a Jarmouche or somebody similar. Because I think that's the that might be the bigger issue. It's just that he's all by himself doing this. Um, and right. that still yields a lot of interesting results. Like, probably my favorite scene of the whole movie is a great example of, like, the dark comedy of this Yakuza picture with um, when they kidnap that one dude and they uh, him and Omar Epps and they have him do, like, the thing with the gun and the strings. Yeah. Which yeah, was yeah, really yeah. almost like a proto-Saw or Seven kind of thing mm-hmm. <laughs> in its own weird way. But it's a great bit of, like, dark comedy. Um, and... Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if he just sort of collaborated with some people and just kind of like came back into the fold or even, you know, even a starred in an American movie even. That's maybe a dip yeah, that'd in the be waters. Because he's kind yeah, of done that. Like, I think the most recent, like, he was in Ghost in the Show briefly. That might have nixed that ever happened ever done then. What are you talking about? That's such a great movie that's so sensitive to Japanese culture and in no way it's about like a white savior lady. <laughs> I didn't want to ask, uh, so you're not a fan of Omar Epps in the movie? I'm not a fan of Omar Epps, period. Mm-hmm. I think he's given too much to do in this one. Yeah. Like, I think there's, they, he, he's expected to be better and have more range than I think he actually has as an actor. And so a lot of it just comes off real campy to me. I mean, I can see that to some extent. There's moments like the one I mentioned with the, his mom's house. I'll get that fucking birthday. Oh yeah. With the, when he puts on the sunglasses. I don't know, because then again, I didn't, um, I'm not necessarily, I, I feel very neutral to him, because, like, the only thing I realized I've seen him in before this is Scream 2, where he has just, like, that very small part at the beginning. You've never seen Omar Epps in anything but Scream 2? Well, because I looked at his, like, um, his filmography, and I realized much of, like, when I was really getting into movies, he was just on House for, like, ages. Oh, you've never seen Dracula 2000 with Gerard Butler? Um, no, I've not seen Dracula 2000. <laughs> Oh, back pocket. <laughs> oh. I, I assume for oh. the best film of all time, it'll be a good film. Yeah, for... <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> all I've seen of Dracula 2000 is uh, Gerard Brothers' audition footage, which is hilarious and anyone should watch it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or he's going full bore. I remember him from like higher learning. And then from there, like he did a cameo in like one of the scary movies. Obviously, he was in Scream Two. You know, it's just he never landed for me. Like even in Higher Learning, which is a very powerful movie with a very powerful like message to it and everything. It's very uh, a la like Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, yeah, those type of movies. And uh, even then, he's supposed to be the main like 
lynch point of the film, the crux of it, it never did it for me. I, by the way, I think what you were thinking of in terms of the scary movies thing was he did have a cameo in Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the that, That's it. Well, that well, yeah, because he was in Juice, he was in Higher Learning. Actually, so Juice is the first thing I saw him. And then he was in, like, he took over for Wesley Snipes in the second Major League movie. Okay, yeah. He played the Wesley Snipes character. I I dig him mostly in the movie. I think it's mainly because Takeshi Kitano works well against sort of, like, his over-the-top manner that you're talking about. Um, I think they find, like, a weird kind of chemistry together that I find interesting. I like the fact that that relationship builds from, like, their weird interaction earlier where like their their introduction is they don't know each other and he bumps into omar epps and he drops the wine bottle and he's like hey you just fucked up my wine bottle what are you gonna do he stabs him in the eye with it (laughs) and i I like how weirdly that progresses into like a genuine friendship and how even i think the movie has a really great sort of like climax with everything like actually building up and even omar epps being told like leave and also the seven takeshi katana's actual death i think all that stuff works really well um, I think kind of saves the movie from being like kind of more middling than it should be necessarily. Here, I think his back and forth chemistry with Katano is sort of like a good heart that keeps the movie working more than it doesn't. The heart's there, the character's there, and everything. I just, I guess, I just don't like his delivery. Mm-hmm. I, I really, honestly think that's all it is. It's not necessarily the character at all. It's just fucking Omar Epps. Like, he's not like list quality. I just, I don't really care about him. No, for for that, but it's just, I, he's too hammy for me. So I assume you won't be watching the Fatal Attraction remake that's now on Netflix, Fatal Affair, with him and Nia Long? What? <laughs> that's on Netflix. That's right? It just came out the day we were recording. With Nia Long? Yeah. With, like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and shit? Yeah. No, I, I, I shan't be watching that. <laughs> but it's a Fatal Affair. You're saying it's basically a rehash but it's not by name right they're not saying the remake to fatal attraction uh yeah but it's also like a gender flip thing where he's the dangerous one and she's the one trying to mend her marriage oh no (laughs) oh i gotta watch it now (laughs) (laughs) well before you leave and watch that go ahead and why don't you give us your final thoughts on brother adam it's a very curious little movie it's a very odd movie it's weird there's nothing else like it, really. I mean, there's things that it shares to other films, like in tone and things like that, or even sort of plot beats. But it's this weird little curious movie that's unlike any gangster movie you've ever seen before. It's just weird. It's a weird fucking movie. It's endearingly weird. Yeah, I think that's a good descriptor for it, really. It's just that it's it's unlike anything you've really ever seen before. We've talked about this many times about sort of like a foreign director coming to America and trying to make their great American movie. Uh, right. Usually in context of it being hilariously misaimed and so fucking funny, which it can be. Nine times out of ten. Nine yeah. times out of ten. But this feels very different in terms of it's very much Takeshi Kitano trying to appeal to an American market in a way that feels uh, a stranger in a strange land movie, for, but actually made by that stranger. Because usually with movies like this, you would get it from like an American filmmaker about like, oh, here's this foreign person coming in. Uh, as opposed to here, it's from the perspective of the actual foreign filmmaker. So yeah, it's very unique in that way, and I would definitely recommend it to some extent. It's on 2B TV as when we're recording this, so uh, you can watch it with like a couple ads. Um, yeah, and it's it's like I said, it's not like much of anything. If nothing else, it did open me up to I want to see more of the movies that Katano has directed and written. Well, there you go. And Firework. There's a plus. 
Yeah. Actually, I think I am wrong. It was Firework that's on Tubi TV. I had to rent Brother from Amazon. But regardless, that's the better movie. Watch Firework as well. Oh, yeah. But anyway. I, bro- I borrowed my brother's copy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from your brother. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, yes. And uh, now you can see what other people have done here on the ESO network with this ad for Neo You can queue up right after ours. Hey, weird podcast people. Join us every week on the Flopcast for a half hour or so of silly conversation about comics, music, Saturday morning cartoons, old movies and TV shows, and chickens. It'll be our little secret. Find us at Flopcast.net and on the ESO Network. Alright, and let's get into our bad film, Live By Night. Even if you win today's battle, there's so much violence in what you do. You don't think I'm strong enough? I don't know if you're cruel enough. I went away a soldier. I came home an outlaw. I don't want to be a gangster. I stopped kissing rings a long time ago. It no longer matters what you want. You're in this life. So, <laughs> so Live by Night is um, a gangster film that came out in 2016, specifically December 25th, 2016, that uh, is another film that was directed and written by its star, Ben Affleck, uh, based on the novel by Dennis Lehane. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even realize we did that with this. I know, but I didn't either, honestly. Directed starring. Yeah. Same fucking guy. Okay. And I was really fascinated with this just because I told Adam when we ended up choosing this off mic that um, I was really curious because this had been the one Ben Affleck directed movie I hadn't seen before. And I have been such a curious follower of that guy's career. Sometimes I'm a fan, sometimes I'm not. We've only talked about him briefly in terms of uh, when we did our Kevin Smith episode, we talked about him in Dogma. Um, But that's where I discovered that dude was in the Kevin Smith movies. And I remember the Benefer Paul rigmarole with him and Jennifer Lopez sort of being the first example to me of like a big Hollywood tabloid controversy for whatever reason, because I don't know why. Just like they were happy together, and that made everybody find them to be awful. Um, yeah, right. It was always weird to me. And then that dude has had such a fascinating career, and how it's gone up and down and up and down, and just like it's a roller coaster. Yeah, and there's a lot of just meddling in between the highs and lows, too. Yes. Like, I think I first saw him, man, I want to say it was like fucking school ties. Right, which is pre-Kevin Smith, even. Yeah. And then I, next was probably Goodwill Hunting. No, Mallrats. Yeah, yeah Mallrats and Chasing that. Amy, Dogma. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But I mean, that's, uh, another, that's another example where that dude won an Oscar for writing at such a young age, and I think that's kind of where the downturn kind of started. Because, like, Matt, you look at, like, Matt Damon, who, obviously, he came up with him. Matt Damon. Right, and Matt Damon has not nearly had the roller coaster, right? He stayed pretty consistently, like, popular in his career. Yeah, Matt Damon's, like, a, a bona fide movie star. Right, as opposed to Affleck, who has, like, all the movie star sort of looks and potential, like, ingredients, and it just, like, really flip-flops with him. It's, like, 50-50. He ain't got the chops. I mean, he does, but he doesn't. He's not consistent in his delivery ever. Like, even in the same movie sometimes. And, I mean, I know he's got personal issues and and things like that as well. So, I mean, that could very well be part of it. 
in particular affected this movie in terms of both his divorce from Jennifer Gardner and the his alcoholism. alcoholism. And also this is like, I think he's shooting this in between Batman v Superman and Justice League. It's like right in between. So you're like, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's a bad triple threat, brother. I mean, you can tell given in this movie, he looks enormous. He's fucking huge. And then they put him in these like period uh, accurate suits, which have even bigger shoulder pads. Right. Like he looks like fucking Andre the Giant standing next to Chris Messina. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like he looks like a caricature of a gangster that you would see in like like someone you draw pretty much. He looks like a human playing the one of the weasels from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> With the giant shoulders and shit. I'm going to ram true. him. <laughs> he, has, he has shoulders about that big in this movie, yes. Um, but before we get into this movie specifically, how do you feel about him as a director? Everything he's directed has at least been decent. And not, not necessarily even film-wise, but di- directing-wise. Mm-hmm. He does have an eye for it. Like, he truly does. Like, some of the shots even in this movie, you're like, that's a really good fucking shot. Yeah. And I'll watch anything that his name's attached to as far as director. I haven't really been disappointed of Broom Drill now. <laughs> right, because he had done Gone Baby Gone, The Town, and then Argo before this. Yeah, I like all three of those quite a bit. Yeah, I revisited his films that he directed at least prior to doing this episode. Is it just the three? It's just those three. Okay. And then he hasn't directed anything since this, and we'll discuss why probably <laughs> that's the case with... Gone Baby Gone and The Town in particular, I think, are phenomenal films. I think they do a great job of especially kind of like dialing into something that I think Affleck works at his best in, which is kind of covering White Trash Boston. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. he, he has sort of an acclamation to that. And I think he likes kind of focusing on characters who come from these sort of like shitty places and examining how they like have their foibles, but also have their kind of like morals and dignity in their own way. Really complicated characters. And Argo, honestly, I loved at the time, and revisiting now, I think is one of the more mediocre Best Picture winners that's come out, honestly. I thought it was a mediocre Best Picture when it won, but it's st- I still like it. It's a good yeah. movie, but it's not the Best Picture, no. I think, weirdly, the stuff that interests him more in that movie is like any of the Hollywood stuff with like John Goodman, Alan Arkin, yes. and him. I agree. And even then, I, I think agree. also, a big thing, if he ever directs again, is I think he needs to not be the lead. Because aside from The Town, which I think he worked phenomenally in both as an actor and a director, he wasn't in Gone Baby Gone rightly, even though it's Casey Affleck, so... Same thing. One has had certain accusations. Yeah. A little different. Yeah, a little little different. different. But I think that still worked for him at the same time not to be in that particular movie. And I think he's, like, the weakest part of Argo as an actor, in that he's, like, barely a person. (laughs) He's just there. Yeah, I agree. He's just a beard. He's a walking facial hair. Right, and even also weirder because he's playing, like, I believe a Hispanic man in real life? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And anyway, 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 Live By Night, uh, which he stars in, I think that's very much a problem in this movie. Um, though, I'll say, with the first 45 or so minutes of Live By Night, I was in it. I was actually, like, kind of almost like, oh, wow, people, I think, are being a bit too harsh on this movie, honestly, because I really liked his relationship with Sienna Miller, I think this is one of her better performances, honestly, in anything. And I liked the relationship they were starting to build with him and his uh, father, Brendan Gleeson. And there's a really dope car chase slash bank heist scene. And then they arrive in Ybor City, which is very interesting because, uh, if you don't know, folks, I am a Tampa native. And I think they get the look of old Ybor really right in the production design and stuff. But 
There's a distinct point where I think this movie starts to turn sour. And it's the moment where Ben Affleck talks to Zoe Saldana outside of that bar. And you can tell the really bad green screen of, like, the Tampa Bay skyline. And then leads into them dancing and their awkward sex scene. There's a lot of those in this movie. Ben Affleck don't take his clothes off or nothing. Well, because he has to hide his massive giant body. <laughs> yeah, right. He's just a fuzzy... He's a fucking specimen under that suit. He, he can't show his Batman swole, like, I'm throwing tires CrossFit body in this movie. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the point where the movie starts to gradually turn and supremely disappoint me as things go along. I'll agree with one part of all of that is Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, he, he that dude could do anything and I'll watch it. I fucking love that guy. I, I'd say... 10, 15 minutes in, I'm like, oh, I was already bored. Already. The narration in the beginning, I'm like, oh, we're doing this? Like, this is how this movie's going to go. Okay, Ben Affleck with this fucking accent that he tries to throw on. Where he just over, he over-enunciates his, his own voice. Like, he just pushes it a little too hard. And it never works. It always sounds stupid, for the most part. So you got that going for him. Sienna Miller, I will say, this was her best performance. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, she, she plays like an Irish gangster's mall, and she really works. She was yeah. absolutely great. I love Chris Messina, too. Yes, I think him and Affleck have a really good chemistry, yeah. Yeah, and I really like that guy. Because, like, this, and then you watch him in Harley Harley Quinn, you're like, that's the same fucking guy. I know, yeah. Raised ass. It's crazy. I always thought he was a low-grade body kind of Ollie, but nah, he's good. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's only two hours and, like, change. Like, two hours and eight minutes. Yeah. And I was so fucking bored. I mean, I paused this movie for any reason. Okay, get up and walk <laughs> walk to the bathroom, walk back. For anything. Shame on you for wasting Chris Cooper. Give him nothing. And he's supposed to be this like feeble, old, staunch Catholic. And then I get what they're going for, but could they have played up cousin banging hillbilly angle anymore with the guy that got to play the, the RD guy? For the yes. Bucket? Okay. Jesus Christ. That guy, he's interesting because uh, that actor is Matthew Mayer, who I've seen in a few other things, including... Dogma. Well, Dogma, he's the bartender, and he's the creepy huh? pedophile dude in Gone Baby Gone, and he's chilling in that movie. He's yes. genuinely upsetting. Yeah, I agree. So, okay. He's not a bad actor. I just think the problem in this movie is that they want to make him look like, oh, he's like country bumpkin intimidating, like part of the KKK, and Affleck's only direction to him seems to be, be loud. There's a point when they're at a restaurant, he starts yelling at Ben Affleck. And he's just loud, but not intimidating. It's just like, I'm screaming at you. Like, that's that's all you really get yeah, out of that. basically. Team. It's basically. really weird. It's just... It's, it's not good. No. What's interesting to me is I would necessarily agree that I was bored as much as I was just really confused by, especially, like, the back half of this movie. Because it feels so truncated and awkward. Like, it feels that in the opening 45 minutes or so, we were developing the characters and playing things out pretty well and didn't feel like we were truncating as much. Like, the narration isn't even as intrusive in that first, like, 45 minutes or so. And then we, like, rush through so much shit once he, like, gets settled in Tampa. Like, it goes by so fucking quick in a weird way. Like, Elle Fanning's whole character? Where, like, she plays Chris Cooper's daughter, who I think in the span of, like, 20 minutes uh, comes back from Los Angeles like a heronag prostitute then becomes a religious leader in Tampa, then realizes, oh, I've been fucking up by doing this, and then ends up committing suicide. And that's, like, in about 20 minutes' time. But that's the thing, though. Does she? Because they kind of give you an idea that maybe Chris Messina had her killed, or killed her. 
Because when he tells Ben Affleck the way Ben Affleck's looking at him, so he's like, oh, if only this had happened three months ago, uh, you know, blah, blah. And Ben Affleck's looking at him like, what the fuck, dude? Like, they, they, I mean, I get the, I think she killed herself, but they, the thing is they try to make you maybe have doubt that, and that could have been a cool sort of thing they could have delved into a little bit. And no, they didn't even go for it. Like, but but like, that's a, that's another weird thread too, where I like the chemistry him and Affleck have. Like especially, I love the Me bit too. early on where um they uh, screw with Anthony Michael Hall and get him to leave. I like setting up that dynamic. I just think it's a really an issue like afterward where it feels like they kind of want to build this mistrust you're talking about about what Chris Messina might be actually doing, but they yeah. oh, they introduce that so poorly. There's that bit where um, Ben Affleck murders Matthew Mayer. And, and um, all of his buddies come around, but he's been shot. And Christina comes up to him, and he's just like, "Oh my god, we gotta get him a doctor." And he's like, "You, you shot me." That was clearly what this is. No, no, it wasn't. Somebody else did. It's like a weird comedy. Yeah, then, bit. You're right. They go comedy bit. Yeah, they do. What that the a fuck was times. that? <laughs> it, it, well, the, well, the whole thing when Al Fanning's giving her her whole fucking crazy speech, like, and and everybody's really entrancing, and he's like, "Hey, something about my virtue. What virtue? Hey, right." It, just like, like, there's no need for this. No, that feels like something that would have worked better once again if we had time to like kind of develop these people. Like this movie, it was originally conceived to be a much longer like epic gangster movie, and then I think because based on what I've seen, like all the stuff that was going on with like Batman v Superman and this movie going over budget and all this other shit, Warner Brothers was like, you got to cut a lot of shit out of the script, and it feels like it. Oh no, it 100 percent feels like it, and then it feels like they made dumb decisions on what they kept in. Yeah, a lot of it, like Digger. Or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah. The mafioso son. Like, you have him show up for one small scene where he's basically shit-talking. When the whole idea is that he was going to be down there for a while to watch what they're doing. He shows up for one scene, he's gone for the next 35 minutes, and you see him again. Same thing with Elle Fanning. is introduced originally. Like, she's going to yeah. L.A., and then 30 minutes later, oh, yeah, by the way, she's back. Like, there's, there's a lot of that. It feels definitely like there's enough material for, like, two movies truncated into one movie. And it doesn't really work that well. Ben Affleck is just wooden as fuck in this movie. Like, there's barely any emoting coming out of him. Do you think it might have worked better if they went with the original choice of Leonardo DiCaprio before Affleck even came onto the project? I'm so glad. No, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but then you would have probably got a fucking Shutter Island accident out of it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I couldn't stand another two hours of that. Ben Affleck is not a great actor. I don't think anybody would say he is. There's people that really like him, but I don't think he's great. I think he's really good in sort of side roles. Ben Affleck cannot carry a fucking movie to save his life. I would say there's a few... I'll give you The Town. Well, no, but the, I, I, the town I would agree with, but even then he has a really good supporting cast around him. I think another great example, actually, I recently watched the most recent film he did, The Way Back, um, where he plays the alcoholic basketball coach dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't watch that just because I thought it looked like every other movie like that I've seen a thousand times. That's the thing. Largely as a script it is, and I think he elevates the material so well. It's a wonderful performance from that dude. That Once again, it comes from a place that feels real. Because of his own addiction problems. Right. Well, that makes sense. The thing is, like, he, like, carries that whole movie in a really interesting way. I think that's the thing. Affleck works as an actor when he's able to kind of harbor something he knows. Like, in uh, Good Will Hunting or The Town, like, where he can, like, really kind of harness something. Even, like, the Kevin Smith movies where it feels like he's having, like, some kind of, like, chemistry with his buddies in that case. Yeah, right. Or, he, you know, he can he could play a, a sort of a douchebag from Boston because that's... 
him. You know, right. And then, oh God, the ending, the Chris Cooper thing at the end. Repent, repent, repent. Oh God. All right, whatever. So then they put together. <laughs> so stupid. And then they kill Zoe Saldana, and I'm like, I don't care at all. Yeah, that relationship does not work a, a lick. Their chemistry is not oh. to be found whatsoever. <laughs> I was more worried about the kid in the background. I'm like, no, go get the kid. <laughs> but didn't care. Yeah, that's true. That kid Did is not. doing more acting in that bit where he's crying <laughs> compared to Ben Affleck. <laughs> he's probably really crying. <laughs> yeah. Ben Affleck probably stepped on his foot with his giant-ass shoe. And then they go, "This, you know, I take my son to the shows. He really likes the shows. And oh, that's my brother. Why did they, they reference that twice? There was no point of that. No, His brother's that, out in Hollywood. What is the point of any of that? It, it has a very sort of return of the king style ending where it should have ended like five minutes ago when it keeps going oh, with different endings. <laughs> once it, once all of a sudden, whatever Cuba came up on the spot of the screen, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> we're still going. <laughs> like fucking hell. And then the narration, and it ends on such a wet part. <laughs> I told him the same thing, whatever uh, whatever Figgis told me, Dolores or whatever her name was. We are in heaven. This is it. We're here. Orchestra <laughs> swell. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ. And you can also say, even I think, honestly, as a director, I think this is one of his weaker examples, just because, like, there's a lot of scenes that feel very abrupt. Like, there's a big action climax that happens in this movie. That feels so suddenly interrupted with like all the gangsters shooting each other. And and very against character. Like all of a sudden he's this fucking hardcore conniving badass who set up this whole plan for them to go into the tunnels and do all this stuff. Never once did you get that idea from him as a as a character throughout the whole movie. In fact, there was a point where the whole crux of the thing between him and Zoe Saldana is he didn't have to be a cruel man. Right. But all of a sudden, he's just fucking got this all laid out where he's going to take over the business, but he doesn't because he gives it to his fucking friend. And he's supposed to be like, oh, he loves him. I don't give a shit. And then it leads into one of many examples of the narration saying, by the way, that guy died. And this guy died. And that guy died. BT dubs that guy. He also died. Everybody died. (laughs) And like, I don't fucking care. And even then, like, we also get the, the throwback to Sienna Miller's character, who's another character who disappears most of the movie. And then comes back oh, just like, like all of the movies, basically. She's in it for 20, 25 minutes, and then she's in it for the last five. Right. I love the contrast in that particular ending bit where she just is like, you know, I, you know, everything turned out the way it was, and I ended up free. And she's actually like giving it a lot of attention. And then you cut to Affleck, and he's just like, that was your thing. Yeah, it was never mine. mine. I never wanted to be free. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What, dude? I, I, I'm not. Look. I, I don't want to presume, but the only thing I can think of is some of his fucking personal demons were coming out while making this too. Because there's oh, you see it. choices. You see, like yeah. you can, this is like the connecting point between Batman v Superman, where he's giving a shit, and then this movie is him like just so in the middle, and then Justice League is him giving up. Like yeah. you, Justice League, Ben Affleck does not give a shit. Oh no, and, yeah, he's he's, he's completely, completely checked out. out. Yeah, by yeah. that point. So it feels like it's the weird tr- trilogy of the DC movies. You just put this in the middle. <laughs> like, this is, like just say, like, oh, it's Carmine Valcone. That's who it is. That's, that's yeah, what we're yeah. doing. Sure, whatever. No. no, make it something really stupid. It's the Calendar Man. <laughs> this is the only of the Calendar Man. <laughs> Their kid. So Sildana and Ben Affleck's kid becomes the Calendar Man. <laughs> Condiment King. Yeah. <laughs> Condiment King. 
<laughs> Whatever. So now, I guess before we close out on this, the the big thing is this is was such a massive flop. To yeah. to put it into perspective, uh, this movie still holds like one of the records for biggest drop in theaters for a movie. Where the first two weeks where it was in wide release, it was in 2,822 theaters, which is like the standard for when movie yeah, theaters yeah. are like open. Then by week three, only in 163 theaters. Oh. So it, and it cost about $90 million, made 22.7. So it lost Warner Brothers a lot of money. Oh. <laughs> if Affleck ever comes back to directing, which I hope he does, what would you want to see out of him? What do you think he could go to again to kind of like get that creative spark? You know, heavy crime noir films, because this is not that at all. I think he wants it to be that, maybe thought he was making that, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Gone Baby Gone, The Town are his two best movies. And they're very dirty, gritty, thriller, not necessarily going on, but yeah, there's there's elements of that. Or just stop. Maybe that's part of the problem with him. Maybe he was just fucking spreading himself too thin. Like, be an actor or be a director. Maybe he needs to kind of fucking make that decision. Or if he's going to direct again, I think definitely I agree. He should not be a main character for sure. No, if he if he's in it, that's cool. But, yeah, yeah he should not be the lead. No, I, I really agree. I think that's the thing is he can't really have that great focus. I think Affleck just, I don't think he has quite the ability to juggle that. Because when he goes all in as an actor, it works. When he goes all in as a director... Um, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. And, and the town is really the only time where those two are like a perfect circle. Um, and God, that movie's so great. I think it got lost in the shuffle. It, yeah, the town has like a cult following behind it. A lot of people don't even know about it or they've heard about it, but they haven't seen it. I think so. it was very acclaimed and successful at the time, but it just really dissipated <laughs> after a certain point. Um, Renner's fantastic. Uh, jo- it's yeah, probably Red the best fun. use of John Hamm in a movie, I would say. Baby Driver. He's really great in Baby Driver, too. But that, like, I think those two movies are the only ones where they really know how to use him, especially as like a villain. Or people need to yeah. use him as like an evil villain. Who's, like, really I like, fucking intimidating. agree. I agree. It has one of my favorite chase scenes in any movie recently where they're chasing to the bridge. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that fucking it's chase. Absolutely. It's so good. It's funny we're talking about the town. It's Live by <laughs> it's Night. It's if Live by Night? Uh, wow, how weird. Because Live by <laughs> Night has fucking nothing to talk about. And that's the thing, too. It's a very stereotypical sort of crime movie. Like... Came from nowhere, started off pulling jobs with his stupid friends, and his dad's a cop. And then he goes to jail because he gets mixed up in the wrong thing because he wants to get money to escape with a lady. And he double-crosses uh, mob boss, so they fucking beat him to death, almost beat him to death. He goes to jail, gets out, joins up with the other mob boss, goes down to Florida, hits it real big, meets another lady. And then it's like, okay. And it's paced about as quickly as that as well in the movie. Well, yeah, no, dude, I, I needed to take, like, 15-minute breaths before every word, and then it'd be paced <laughs> accurately. This is going to happen. <laughs> it happened. Ready? And it's a bummer, because also, I think, it like, the production design and the costume design is really good. I think, particularly, like, the, the look of old Ebor. Like, it, it's it's from in, in Georgia, they recreate like all yeah. of Ebor, and it looks like yeah, it looks phenomenal. legit, dude. They got the really cool, almost sepia tone to everything, so everything looks bright and sunny down when they're down in Florida. Yeah, down to they have chickens, which is a thing in Ebor. There are chickens that just roam around still to this day. Yeah, they just yeah. do. Well, yeah, that's that's just what it is. Yeah, but no, there's a lot of cool shit to it. Like some of the shots of the glades is cool. It looks good. Like the movie looks really good. Just nothing else in it stacks up to the cinematography 
for the production design. Production design's on point for this fucking movie. And the costume designers, God bless them for tailoring those suits for Affleck, making that Frankenstein massive man <laughs> put in those suits. The tent over the church was used for his final <laughs> suit in the movie. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess, Adam, roll that into your final thoughts on Live By Night. Ultimately, it's a bore fest, dude. He's got his fingers in too many pots at the same time, and he spreads himself so thin, and it's just all on screen. Like I said, the cinematography, the production design, the cost, the wardrobe, everything's really well done. But that's about the gist of it. Things that are supposed to matter or make you feel sad or elicit any kind of response – None of it feels earned. It's all cheap. It's all just, it's just a lousy film. And ultimately, an incredibly forgettable film. Like, if you ask me two years from now, I'd be like, hey, remember that Ben Affleck mafia movie? I'd be like, no. Like, I'm not even going to remember. And then if someone lived by night, I'll go, oh, yeah, I think I saw that. Like, I'm just not even going <laughs> to. Then they pull out their podcast player, like, Adam, you talked about it here. <laughs> like, and I'll just be like, no, that wasn't me. That was bizarro, Adam. That's Thomas doing two voices like he usually does on the show. Because Thomas is actually Michael Winslow. <laughs> Thomas Mariani, the Mel Blanc of podcasters. Yeah, yeah. It's just a boring film, dude. There's nothing to it. There's no heart really in it. There's nothing to it. It's just, it's a bore fest. And for me, I would say it's less of a bore fest, and it's more of that type of film that is more frustrating to me in terms of how bad it is because I can see a lot of the really good, interesting qualities to it. Like I said, the first 45 minutes or so when he's particularly in Boston, coincidentally, I think Affleck's dialed in as like a director and an actor. I really like his chemistry with Sienna Miller. I like the stuff that's starting with Brendan Gleeson and him as like the father-son relationship. And gradually it just becomes more and more of this weird rush job where it's like, it feels like an entire season of Boardwalk Empire had to fit into two episodes of the show as opposed to like, a six or eight episode season. That's what it just I, felt I like. can't disagree with that. That's very accurate. And I would love to see Affleck tell like this grander story on a grander scale. And I think he could have been able to do it. It just feels definitely like there's so much studio meddling, but it results in not a movie that's like fascinatingly terrible like we've talked about before, but it's just more, I agree, frustrating and ultimately forgettable at the same yeah. time. It just will end up like really dissipating in my mind until I just remember stupid shit like... But we can't emphasize enough. That Chris Cooper thing you're talking about at the very end where he shoots Osaldana oh, is so, so amazingly tacked on. Bad. It's so oh, bizarre. It's so bad. Once I, they showed him in the chair and he's repeating repent again, because that is so stupid, too. That is such a tired cliche. But he said they're repeating repent. I'm like, what are they going to do with this? I thought, honestly, at that time, I'm like, oh, they're going to show him kill himself. Cause right, that's exactly what I was expecting. Yeah, and I guess they yeah. subverted expectations, but in a way that didn't make and any sense. Once went to the next scene, the second the bullet went through the window, I'm like, oh, no, that's what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it was really fucking dumb. But I hope at least now with, like, the way back and the critical reception that Affleck has kind of gotten, I hope he'll at least do something more in maybe even that vein as a director. Kind of do a story about a guy who's kind of, like, in this middle-aged uh, sort of sad sack element of his life. Where I think with that movie, it sort of proved, okay, Affleck saw the sad Affleck meme that went around from his interview with Batman v Superman and was like, let me lean into that. And he did. Yeah. And it worked tremendously well in that movie. So it's like, direct the sad Affleck movie. Do it. Just be yeah, fuck it. Do some super sad. You'll probably win an Oscar. Finally, do it. <laughs> it might it might just work out. Well, another one, another one. An- that's true. Another one for actually him, either as an actor or a director. He's only got that writing Oscar. 
Damon's been nominated for acting awards. Not so much Affleck. Well, can you blame him? <laughs> can you blame the Academy? I, I guess we can't. But that's the end of our two gangsta pictures we talked about on the show. And we'll be doing our picking for next week's episode in a bit. Stay tuned for that. But before we do, we have some feedback from all you to read. So um, we've got uh, some feedback here from uh, some people who on at Pod, which is our Facebook and our Twitter feed, uh, we ask all of you about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite movies related to whatever topic we're doing? So first up from our buddy James Rodriguez, he says, uh, best, uh, the first two Godfather films, Goodfellas, Sexy Beast, Dead Presidents, Married to the Mob, and for something different, Kung Fu Hustle, Worst, Gangster Squad, and Gotti. Uh, then Timmy Cupcakes says, uh, Just found out Frank Needy, infamous Chicago mobster, lived less than two blocks from my house, so my wife and I decided to watch The Untouchables, which he's featured heavily in as a character. Though not the best gangster movie, it has some amazing visuals and Sean Connery lines in it. Christian Alvarez says, Favorite, The Godfather. Worst, motherfucking Gotti. Uh, Stuart Brooks says, Kung Fu Hustle. Jenny Walker says, Favorite, Eastern Promises. Least favorite, Revolver. Tori DePina says, uh, best, New Jack City, Belly, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, The First Two Godfathers, In Bruges, Goodfellas, Killing Them Softly, Dead Presidents, Superfly, Revolver, American Gangster, Heat, Carlito's Way, Scarface, and Public Enemies. Worst, Gangster Squad, Godfather 3, Carlito's Way, colon, Rise to Power, Bugsy, oh. Gotti, haven't seen it, but I figured I want to be included. And then, uh, Ryan Quarterman, Says, favorite, Gangster Squad. Least favorite, Gangster Squad. Oh, Quarterman. You, you jester. You rascal. Uh, in Bruges was a cool one. I never even thought of that. Eastern Promises, totally. I didn't, I didn't even think of that either. Eastern Promises, fucking dope. So, so is in Bruges, obviously. I fucking absolutely love that movie. Uh, there's a lot of good calls in there. Uh, Carlito's Way, Rise of Powers. God awful. Was that like a directed video sequel, I assume? Yeah, with Jay Hernandez is fucking Carlito. To be fair, I've never seen the original Carlito's Way. That's a blind spot for me. All right. Carlito's Way is really good. Yeah. You got to give yourself a minute to get past Pacino doing a Puerto Rican accent. Isn't that different from like a Scarface, for example, with him doing his Cuban accent? Well, it's completely different. Where Scarface, it was very abrasive, the accent and everything. Carlito's Way, he's, he's very talking like this all the time. And you're like, mm, oh. I don't know if that's accurate, but okay. <laughs> we'll go for it. Sean Penn's fucking amazing in Carlito's way, though. Okay. And so is a young John Logazano. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, like, a lot of the bigger ones, I was like, a Godfather or Goodfellas were... were I mean, of up. course. Those are we purposely, I purposely didn't pick any of those because they would talk about to death. There's a few that, honestly, I would um, definitely recommend they're, like, sort of undervalued or underrated. Um, I would say one that I recently watched that didn't get any attention here. Christopher Walken in King of New York. Oh, King of New York is really good. I just saw that, like, the other day. The Fishburne is so good. Fishburne is so fucking good. He's man. fucking crazy in that movie, and it's so great. He's weirdly got, like, a lot of Cowboy Curtis energy, but that's not a problem with the movie at all. No, no, at all, at all. And Walken is out of control. There's scenes where he's just out of control in it. You, you, like, you might have like, seen uh, the gif of Christopher Walken doing the weird dance with everybody. That's where that's from. So awesome. It's so good. It's so awesome. That's a good call. I like that movie. Another one I would recommend that's more from the British angle. It's from the late 70s, and I'm sure it inspired somebody like a Guy Ritchie. The Long Good Friday, starring Bob Hoskins. 
phenomenal movie. That is a really good movie too. When uh, I was always been kind of a fan about Hoskins, so mm-hmm. a couple of years ago I went back and watched a lot of his shit, and that's when I first saw it, and I was like, holy fuck, this movie's amazing. But then there's some that I want to see, like Capone, because <laughs> I'm just so curious about it. I know it's not going to be good. It's very much like it's a mostly boring movie, but Tom Hardy is giving it his all. He's so weird, dude. Like, I love him, but he's a weird guy. You know, there's The Departed. Yeah. Uh, L- L.A. Confidential yes. is so fucking good. Uh, the Boondock Saints movies, you know, especially the first one. second one's pretty bad. Uh, but Boondock Saints is awesome. Uh... I mean... Yeah, well, it's not. It's not. Asterisk, Willem Dafoe is awesome in Boondock Saints. There you go. I'll give you that. Everything else uh, is not so awesome about that movie. Uh, American Gangster was okay. wasn't bad. But, like, dude, the John Wick movies? Right. Um, that's my favorite use of that dude, uh, Michael Nemquist, in the first movie. Oh, I love him so much in that movie. He's so great. He's so good. He's so good. It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. Or especially the <laughs> moment where he picks up the phone and just hears, like, he killed his dog. Yes, I understand that you struck my son. Yes, sir. He stole a car. Mm-hmm. It was John Wick's car. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I once saw him kill two men in a bar with a fucking pencil. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, this guy's a badass. No, he was great. I love those movies, though. Mm-hmm. I think they're fantastic movies. And, and the thing is, they're so different from typical gangster movies especially the second and third where they just took on this weird sort of they're in their own universe that doesn't exist like they just yeah. get nutty i mean i'll say that i've i really like all those movies though i'm not as big a fan of like sort of the weird development of like the the hotel and all that other stuff like that society they focus a lot on that especially in like the second and third movie and like the rules that i didn't the give a shit about especially. Yeah. Well, when they go and find the guy in the desert, I'm like, this is a little much. Right. But then again, also, yeah. I will say the best thing in any of those John Wick movies is like the first 20 minutes of John Wick 3. It's like some of the best action <laughs> or, I've ever seen. Oh, when he's fucking, when he's slapping them horses and they're taking yes, the horses. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, uh, no, Sexy Beast. Have you seen Sexy Beast? No. Fuck, oh, Sexy Beast. Well, hey, Ray Winstone's a guy, and I love anything Ray Winstone's in. For the most part. Well, no, that's not true. I love Ray Winstone in most things. Um, but Ben Kingsley plays the heavy. Yes. And he's so cockney and he's so terrifying. Like, he's so fucking good, dude. Uh, that's definitely worth it. Another one is a 44-inch chest. It takes place all in one room. Mm-hmm. Where it's Ray Winstone, Stephen Delane, John Hurt, and Ian McShane. Okay. And the whole crux of the movie is they have... Ray Winstone's wife's lover beaten tied up in a uh, like an armoire. Wow. And it's up to Ray Winstone what they want to do. And it's like an hour and a half long of them deciding going through it. It's fucking awesome. John Hurt plays an old British gangster named Peanut. Mm-hmm. And all he does is cuss. <laughs> like non stop. Yeah, what I would recommend in terms of it's not quite traditionally a gangster movie, but I find it fascinating that I was actually watching just before we were on the show. This movie called um, Mickey and Nikki, starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes. And the premise of it is um, Peter Falk is this guy who it, like gets a distress call from John Cassavetes, who's like his fuck-up friend. And he's like, the mob's okay. gonna get me, they're gonna fuck me up, I need you to help me out. And it's them just on a night where Peter Falk is trying to like, okay, I want to get you on to an airport. No, I don't want to go to the airport, there might be surrounding everywhere. 
okay, uh, do you want to, like, get on a train? <laughs> and it, like, keeps on going from there, and there's some interesting twists. Ned Beatty plays, like, a businessman-type hitman. Whoa. It's, I gotta check this one out. I've never heard of this one. But that, that one's very interesting. It's on the Criterion streaming service right now. I would, I would definitely recommend that. Oh, yes. Yes, quite. <laughs> but we want to thank all you for that feedback, and of course, thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Uh, listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art that's provided for our show. And uh, you can find us, as I mentioned, on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBPod. That's where we share those feelers about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? Uh, and you can have your feedback read on the air, just like we did earlier. And uh, you can email us feedback and stuff at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, if you have some money to maybe spare for us, uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash DEDBpod, where we post up bonus episodes every month, and we also put up polls where you guys pick what we end up covering for the show, including next week's topic. Put a pin in that. But around the time that this episode's coming out, we'll be having your chance to pick one of our topics for August, which is going to be two directors uh, who we have not covered because they are well, long dead. Uh, we've never done that before with somebody who has passed long ago with um, Alfred Hitchcock versus Stanley Kubrick. What? Very interesting poll. Um, that'll be it. That'll be interesting. I got a feeling I know which way it's going to go, but I'm not going to say it here. No, you're not going to uh, place your bets? Place your bets live? Well, if I got to place my bets, I'm going to go Kubrick. Interesting. I think he's got a more diverse sort of oeuvre in people's eyes. He has a more diverse mugger, but it's also interesting because he's made way less movies. Hitchcock was like so prolific that he made yeah. so many different weird movies. But yeah, like we'll see how that goes because you'll have a week to vote and it'll all come up on uh, the Wednesday after this episode comes out. Wednesday, July 22nd. It'll last until the 29th that you'll all have the chance to vote. And if you're a patron at just $1 a month, that's the thing. It only costs you $1. A dollar? Dollar a month. You're not gonna. We're not gonna loan shock break your legs for that. Like no. some real gangster types. We might. Not us personally. No, we'd hire somebody else. With we're too thick, soft boys. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> very thick, very soft. <laughs> and if you want more thick, soft guy thoughts, you can find me on at not the who's Tommy on Twitter and uh, Instagram. That's where I post up stuff. Uh, you can also find me doing some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com for lists and reviews and stuff. And you can also find Adam uh, trying to make his way in Ybor City as a big gangsta type. In the tunnels, apparently. We're coming from below. <laughs> That's another stupid yeah. moment we can mention. Oh, <laughs> it's <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> and I lose, uh, like, two guys. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. If, if you want more great criticism like this, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms, or like on the ESO network. And if you want more episodes from before we even joined ESO, you can go into our Podbean archive. And uh, if you want to rate, review, or just share the show around, if you can't spare any money for the Patreon, that really helps give us more visibility. Yeah, you fucks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Adam, now, before we leave, it's time to do our picking for next week. And uh, as I mentioned, this topic was chosen by our patrons uh, for this particular month. And it's a Uh bit of a doozy. Uh, We're doing an actor who we haven't covered much because he hasn't made a movie in a decade. It is Mr. Jack Nicholson. A decade? But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's Jack Nicholson. Of course. One of the titans of acting. I thought this one could have gone either way. I wouldn't have been disappointed if either one won. But uh, I I think Nicholson's 
a cool one because I don't think we've covered anything Nicholson's been in, period. Yeah, I was looking up in our history, and I don't think we have, no. Oh. So that was a big reason we decided to cover, as opposed to Robert De Niro, who we've covered many times. Uh, but we still would yeah. do it in episode two at the same time. Yeah, That's fucking A, right. We still might. Yeah, I mean, it's De Niro. Right, but now we're doing Nicholson. And so, Adam, you have the the uh, two bad choices. Right, which was fucking really shitty to try to do, because the, it, it was really hard to find any. Like, I mean, not any. I found one right off the bat, and the rest I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. That's true. Difficult. He didn't make too many bad ones. That's, that's a good no. one. No. Um, and uh, I have the two good ones. So we've each assigned our two picks number between 1 and 10. And so the other will choose number between 1 and 10. And whichever that number is closest to between our two picks, that becomes our good and our bad feature for next week. So, Adam, for my two good ones, number between 1 and 10. Well, since it's been a decade, I'll give you 10. Okay. At number nine, I have a movie I don't think I've seen in a decade, but it's definitely one of the more uh, celebrated ones of his career. It is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, you fuck. Oh, I didn't want to cry. <laughs> that's one of those, dude, all right, I mean, I'm going to rewatch it, but that's one of those movies for me, like like The Road or Breaking for a Dream. It's like I saw it once, it affected me, I was good. I don't need to watch it again. All right, well, no, no, but maybe it's overdue for a rewatch. Adam, it's been a while. Hasn't it? No, it definitely is. It's been it's been a long time, probably twenty years. So, and then at number two, I had a bit of a wild card. I had uh, one where he plays two roles: Mars Attacks. I love Mars Attacks. And Mars Attacks is look. A lot of people don't like Mars Attacks. I like Mars Attacks. I think it's just campy goodness. He has one of my. I think one of my favorite Jack Nicholson bits is him on the phone with the French. Uh, president he's like pierre no pierre don't (laughs) it's so good but now adam for your two picks hmm this will be interesting i'm very curious what happens here um i'm gonna pick number seven at number eight i have a movie you and i have discussed off show before maybe even on the show once or twice wolf with jack nokeson james spader michelle pfeiffer that's a weird fucking movie (laughs) It's, and a lot of people either really like it or really hate it. Like, it's, I, there's nobody who's like, yeah, it's okay. People either really like it or hate it. It's been such a long time, I just remember being very confused. Yeah. The whole movie. <laughs> and at number one, I'm so glad. But number one, I had anger management. Yeah, I feared that might be one of the choices. I'm glad. That I'm glad good. it wasn't picked. <laughs> Thank God. Why? Well, fuck. One flew over the coop's nest and woof. Woof. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, Adam, I mean, on that note, I think it's time that we just got out of here because we got to go uh, rob some gin joints and uh, really get the uh, the Prohibition dollars because we're gangster types. I need a dollar, dollar, dollar is what I need for our Patreon, you fucks. <laughs> Good night. Good night. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.